0: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's about that time of year where everybody gets ready to go on their yearly camping trip with their family, friends, and loved ones. Welcome back to the Swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today, I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true stories that are perfect to listen to around the campfire. As always, if you have a scary story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you're new, be sure to subscribe, hit that like button, it helps me out a ton, and get ready for these creepy and allegedly true stories sent in by viewers just like you. Are you looking for a stress-free summer? HelloFresh sends you foolproof step-by-step recipes and fresh pre-portioned ingredients to make mealtime a summer breeze. Get 16 free meals plus 3 free gifts with code SWAMPED16. Go to hellofresh.com slash swamped16. Find out why it's America's number one meal kit. this is an old story i never thought i would get the chance to share until i came across this channel i swear that this story is true it gives me occasional nightmares even to this day i know not all of you will believe me none of my life do that's why i wanted to share this story here this event happened in the summer of 2016 i was roughly 13 years old i lived in the northwest territories of canada one of the country's more isolated and densely forested regions. In the summer of 2016, my mother, sister, and I moved out to the north only about a year prior. We didn't know the areas or the communities all that well yet, so my mother decided to sign us up for a six-week canoe trip going up the Mackenzie River. The trip was offered through an organization called DeChinta, the corporation, brought together a small team of people qualified to lead about 20 participants up the river. One of these guides was an indigenous elder named Tim. He and a few other elders would travel alongside the canoes and small motorboats as a safety or security measure in case anything were to go wrong. This will be relevant in the story later. The trip began in Fort Providence and ended in Fort Good Hope. My story takes place halfway through our voyage. Things were going relatively well. We were making progress, having fun, and bonding as a group. Halfway through the trip, we decided to stay the night on a riverbank south of Tulita, another small town we passed through. It was near dusk. Our group paddled to shore and started to set up our tents and make our dinner as we routinely have each other night. Nothing really stood out about the site that we picked that night. However, I couldn't help but feel off. I've always had a strong intuition and didn't feel any danger, just that something in or around the site was not normal compared to every other place we have camped in. My sister was considerably younger than me, so at night I would always help my mother set up our tent as my sister ran and played with the other children. The sun had just set over the horizon, so it was still light out but getting dark rather quickly. My mother and I were hurrying to put the tent up, I held the tent pegs while my mother put them into the ground. During the short time my mother had bent down to put the next peg in, I saw what I could only describe as a white, glowing gust of smoke that flew right along and over her back and disappeared. It looked like someone had blown an abnormally large amount of smoke right over my mother's back, except it was unnaturally fast and didn't look like smoke at all. Plus, it completely disappeared in half a second. It was pure white and it almost looked like it glowed, which I thought would have been impossible because we were out in the middle of nowhere with no ambient light. The whole thing lasted probably a half a second because when my mother stood back up, she acted normal. She didn't see what I saw, although when she looked at me, she automatically looked very concerned and asked if I was alright. At first, I didn't say anything. I was trying to make sense of what I had just seen, which worried my mother more. After a few minutes, I could tell my mother what I had seen to the best of my ability. She took a second and told me she believed me because earlier, when she looked over my face, I was abnormally pale. She told me I looked like I had seen a ghost. That night, I had gotten my monthly menstrual cycle, which took me by surprise because my bike was completely off. The following day, some of the trip's guides and elders were made aware of my situation because dealing with sanitizing and disposing of blood in the woods had to be done correctly to keep the group safe from wandering animals. We were in the middle of nowhere, after all. One of the people made aware was Tim, the elder I had gotten along with during the trip to that point. I was elated to hear that Jim wanted to take me with him in his motorboat that day instead of paddling with the others. Paddling the canoes with all of our gear, food, and members was tiring, so I was happy to take a break for that day. Tim and I are indigenous. Our culture considers a menstrual cycle compelling and sacred, so this wasn't out of the ordinary. Tim decided that we would go far up the river ahead of the others, so he had time to take me to one of his secret berry-picking spots. On the way there, I was bursting with curiosity, excitement, and pride. Being taken to a secret berry-picking spot is considered a huge honor. It was important to note that Tim had also brought his dog along with us, Not a very big dog, but an efficient guard dog who protected Tim ferociously. Tim, his dog, and I left the others and began traveling upriver. We were on the boat for maybe 20 to 25 minutes, but being a motorboat took us very far away from the rest of our group. We eventually stopped at the riverbank, where there was barely visible deteriorating docks. We got out, tied the boat, and began walking up a small path. It looked like an animal path and it led us to a middle of a small creek. At first I was nervous and I trusted Tim, and his dog was acting perfectly normal, so I felt compelled to keep going. Eventually the animal trail leads away from the creek into a more overgrown section of the forest. Tim continued to walk down the path and I followed shortly after that. His dog was still acting normal and even happier than before as if he knew where we were already going and was excited. We walked along the animal path for a few more minutes before walking into a small clearing. I stopped walking as I noticed my surroundings. The secret berry-picking spot was absolutely gorgeous. The forest turned to birch woods and spread apart enough that it looked like a small clearing. The ground was covered in moss, not grass, with cranberry and Saskatoon berry bushes everywhere. The birch trees made a small canopy with their leaves, covering the sky with enough clearance to have sunbeams shining around. I couldn't describe the place as anything less than magical. Tim smiled as he noticed my expression and said, I told you this place is beautiful. Just keep it a secret for me, okay? He turned to the berry bushes and started lounging around eating berries. Tim's dog ran around having the time of his life as I decided to look around and explore. The clearing resembled almost a boomerang shape from above. So as I explored, I didn't really realize I was walking further away from Tim's view. At one point, I found a fallen log, large enough for my tiny body to sit in. While around the area comfortably were more berry bushes, so I decided to sit there and enjoy the berries. After maybe 5-10 to minutes, I started to notice a very foul odor. Although the smell was weak, it did reek. At the time, I couldn't put the finger on the scent. It was only months later that I would identify it as sulfur. After noticing the smell, I started feeling like something was heavy in my stomach. The strangest part was that I did not feel scared in the slightest. I was just curious. So I stood up and got onto the log to look around. In the first few glances, I didn't see much of anything. But right as I was about to sit back down, I noticed movement to my right. I turned to look where I saw the action and my eyes fell onto one huge birch tree. After staring at it for a few more seconds, I noticed something pull its arm away from being wrapped around the tree. I thought my eyes played tricks on me because I had not seen the arm until it moved away. At this point, I was still not scared, just curious. So I watched the trees as it dawned upon me that whatever I saw did not have a human arm. And I did not see it because it so flawlessly camouflaged itself onto the tree. I was still stuck there watching as if I couldn't pull my eyes away. Slowly, I began to see this person. This creature, this entity, peeking its bald head around the tree and looking right at me. For reasons I cannot understand, I was still not scared. I just kept looking at it. Its skin looked ragged with patches of black, white, and brown across its face. It was being a perfect camouflage in the birch trees surrounding it. I kept staring at the creature, and it kept staring back at me. The longer we stared, the more it started to peer its head around the tree, to the point to where its entire head was visible up to its neck. What stuck with me the most were its eyes. They were black but cloudy, and almost reflective. I can only describe it as being close to the smoke I had seen the night before except that the shade was black. Looking back, I cannot understand how I was not full of fear or running away screaming. Now I did not feel afraid. I could not look away from the creature until Tim's dog started barking. As soon as the barking began, the beast started to smile, but in a way that seemed impossible. It had no lips. The thing started pulling back the skin around its mouth, exposing the teeth. I couldn't see them very well as I, as I dared to break eye contact. But they also looked black or gray, just filthy teeth, but not yellow. They looked rotten in the periphery of my vision. Without lips, the only part of its mouth that resembled a smile was that it pulled back the skin around the corners of its mouth slightly more than the rest of its face. Tim's dog kept barking and Tim called out for me. At this, I finally looked away from the creature and called back. Tim said it was time to go. I yelled back that I was coming, and when I looked back to the tree, the creature was gone. It was only at this point that I felt primal levels of fear. I sprinted towards Tim and his dog as fast as I could. I was shaking but I believe I was in shock, I couldn't speak, I did not have the words to explain what I had just seen, but I couldn't do anything except run to Tim. As I caught up with him, he was waiting for me, so we turned to keep walking and leave. I didn't get the chance right away to tell him what I had seen, I did not understand what to say to him even if I wanted to. Tim did seem to pick up that I was off though, and he didn't say anything to me. We walked back down the path into the boat in silence. I was still shaking. After this, we noticed the paddlers had caught up to us so we joined the group. I did not speak for a few hours after this encounter. I was just baffled. I did not understand what I had seen, I could not understand why I wasn't afraid, I could barely hold one coherent thought. Around dinner, I pulled my mother aside to try and talk to her about what I had seen and begged her to let us leave and end the trip early. I cried almost hysterically as I recounted the story, but my mother didn't believe me. She told me that the woods could be an extraordinary place and sometimes it will play tricks on you. I couldn't understand why she would believe me when I told her that I saw a gust of white smoke but not about this. I cried and begged for weeks to end the trip. I even tried to bribe my mom a few times. She never let us leave or believed what I saw. I also tried to tell my sister or any other kids who would listen but no one believed me. For whatever reason, I never ended up telling Tim about what happened. As a child, I did not want to ruin his secret berry-picking spot for him or have him not believe me. Looking back, that was incredibly stupid. If there was something out there, I could be putting Tim in danger by not telling him. But at the time, my child's mind believed I was saving a good thing for him. Eventually, the trip did end, and Tim and I lost touch. To my knowledge, Tim did go back to that spot on occasion, but without incident. I always regret not telling Tim. I could have been putting him in danger by not doing so, but I was tired of everyone not believing me and calling me crazy or getting upset with me or making up stories. I know what I saw. I will suffer mental trauma for whatever this thing was and I hope that by sharing this story with Swamp Dweller and his channel, maybe I will finally find someone who will listen or better yet, someone who could tell me what the heck that creature was. Hi Swamp, I'm a big fan of the channel. I've wanted to write to you for a while now, but never sat down to do it until now. My name is Ben, and I'm a camera operator on a ghost hunting show in Nova Scotia, Canada. The story I will tell you took place a few months ago on my second day of the show. I've now signed for two more seasons, so yay, money, but I'm very excited because it's a fun job, and we do actual ghost hunting and don't fake anything we capture. So, on my second day working, we were at an old military training camp at the main building where they held banquets, a very fancy-looking place. I can't remember the full story behind the building, but I'll do my best to explain it. Essentially, there was a husband and a wife who lived there decades ago. The husband had been having an affair with a woman, and the wife walked in on them. After seeing her husband cheating, she hung herself on the main stairway, there was a mural on the husband's wall of Poseidon, and the wife and mistress on the either side of him and seashells. This was a very eerie room. The CCTV cameras around the building were highly sketchy, even with the lights on. So anyway, after we set up all the cameras, two other crew members and I grabbed our night vision cameras and started shooting the host. I will refer to the host as Kevin, Alex, and Harley, There was also a director with us named Pat. I oversaw filming Harley, so I followed her while she did her thing and we went to the main stairs where the wife was supposedly said to have hung herself. She started asking questions like, is there anyone here, and all the typical stuff like that. After a few minutes of questions, we remained quiet and after a few seconds, we heard a woman crying. Harley looked at me and asked if I listened to that. I immediately started nodding like crazy without messing up the framing on my camera. Harley then called Alex over, who can do this channeling thing, where you let spirits use your energy to communicate, or something like that. Alex did her thing, told the spirit to use her body to communicate with us, and then sat down in silence with her eyes closed. After a few minutes, Alex started sliding down the wall to sit down with her eyes still closed. She then started rubbing her neck. And her feet began to sway which i immediately connected to the wife who hung herself where alex was sitting harley also joined this and narrated a bit of it to the viewers at home so they also knew what was happening they then started muttering suddenly sobbing and screaming why would you do this harley then called over kevin who came to assist in getting alex back to reality she was still screaming and crying but after harley and kevin calmed her down she told us what had happened. I relived what happened to my wife and saw her die. Only a few seconds after she said this, the banging started happening all over the building and then directly behind me, which caused me to say a few censored words and fall to the ground while pointing the camera at the wall. After all the banging, the director came out of the room with all the monitors for the CCTV cameras and said we were going to wrap it up for the night because it was getting too crazy and he was worried for our safety at that point. We were going to investigate the next day as well, so we left all the cameras set up in the building and went to our hotel. This was directly next door, so we didn't worry too much about leaving stuff in the building overnight. I was the lucky one who could see the building from my hotel room, which didn't make it easy to sleep. The next day wasn't as eventful, but I did have a very wholesome moment with the ghost of a chef in the kitchen. The chef doesn't like when you screw around with stuff in the kitchen, so keep that in mind. Since we were going to investigate the kitchen, I had to set up a CCTV camera. While there, I just started talking out loud to the chef, saying that soon, there would be more people going around his kitchen and not to worry, though, because we're all sorts of good people and we don't mean any harm. After a short while, we entered the kitchen, and the host did their thing and started moving stuff around in the kitchen, knowing that he didn't like that. But unfortunately, nothing really happened. So after a bit more of filming, we took a break and I took my camera and went alone to the kitchen to do some solo investigating, but also turned up nothing. However, I reset his kitchen back to normal after the host messed it up a bit. We had to wrap up all of our gear at the end of shooting, so I headed straight to the kitchen to get the CCTV camera. While packing it, I talked to the chef, asking him to show himself to me. If he was camera shy, there were no cameras rolling, nothing. So I continued wrapping up the cable but then saw something out of the corner of my eye. I turned my head to it and saw a black figure duck behind the fridge. I just smiled and said thank you. The owner of the building wants to have us back to investigate more, so hopefully we will be back next season, and I can see my ghost chef friend again. My apologies for any grammar errors, writing isn't my best skill. If people like the story, I can share others I have experienced on the show. Thanks for sharing, Swamp Dweller. this happened last summer and still sends shivers up my spine when i think back on it i was traveling for business i had to take something to one of our laboratories it had to be there that night to be used in the morning so i ran along the express highway i was passing mount fuji and about to enter a toll road i didn't want to do this as i didn't want to pay plus I thought that if I took a detour, I might be able to shave a few minutes off the estimated arrival time. Boy, was I wrong. I turned down a road close to the Akigahara forest you know, the famous suicide forest. I slowed down a little bit on this road, and as I approached a fog bank, it was plain sailing for quite a while until my lights abruptly went out. I pulled into a hard shoulder and hit my hazards. I was frustrated. I guessed that a fuse had blown or something like that. I popped the hood and started playing around, trying to fix it desperately. But when I realized I was probably causing more harm than good, I slammed the hood shut. I considered driving without the lights. It was an idiotic idea, even if it wasn't a foggy night. I jumped into the driver's seat at a loss. I didn't know what to do next. Suddenly, I was struck with strange tinnitus. It was overwhelming that terrible ringing in your ears. It wasn't very good and it was driving me mad. It made me feel sick. I had never had this in my life before. I looked it up. I looked up and noticed something in my rear view mirror. There was a shadowy figure standing behind my car. The moment I laid eyes on that shadow, I heard something. Something similar to the roar of an animal. This happened at around half two in the morning so there is no good reason why anyone would be out there on the mountain roads. A thick, dense forest surrounded me as far as the eye could see. There wasn't a single car on the road either. I heard footsteps running around my car. They were audible even though my engine was still on. I could feel something coming for me. I felt surrounded and trapped. Those awful footsteps grew louder and louder. I knew I just had to get out of there. I was thinking about opening the door and running for it. I could imagine not getting very far, then I would be a missing person. They find my car out here and I become a mystery. As I was thinking about seeing my parents being interviewed on TV about my disappearance, I heard something strike the car's rear window. It wasn't a rock or anything like that. It sounded sticky, like something fleshy had landed there. I did not want to see what was back there, so I dragged my rear view mirror out of position and hit the gas. I was driving straight into the fog with no lights. Just as I was about to enter a tunnel up ahead, the lights suddenly turned on. I was absolutely relieved. I reached the next toll booth early, and I swear to God, that was the only time I was happy to see one of those things in my life. The lights of the toll booth were so comforting after that experience. I felt safe. After a bit longer, I pulled into a convenience store to get a coffee and check my car over. My car was covered with morning dew since I had been driving through the fog. The windows were wet, I went to the rear of my car and stopped in my tracks. There were hundreds of handprints of varying sizes on the glass. Since that incident, I have never tried to avoid toll roads to find shortcuts ever again. I have no explanation for the handprints or what made that horrible roaring sound. I don't think I will ever find out either. I don't like to think about the number of people who go missing around that area. This happened when I was in the second year of junior school. I live in the countryside far from the cities and my little town is surrounded by mountains. This is quite common in Japan. When I was in elementary school, my friends and I would go to the mountains and play. This is also quite common. It was amazing. We would go any chance we would get after school. My friends and I would run home, get changed, and head up into the mountains. We would do things like catch bugs, build secret bases, and play games. We would come home caked in mud and mudded, totally exhausted. Those were the days. But then, as you grow up and move through the years of school, you end up being interested in different things. For example, video games and sports clubs. You stop playing outside. Well, that was the case for me anyway. Until one summer in junior year. I didn't know if it was because we were bored or we were feeling nostalgic, but we ended up playing in the mountains again. We decided to make another secret base. It was different this time around. We were more physically capable, and we had planned our builds much better. By the time autumn had come around, we had built walls, places to sit, etc. When winter arrived, we had a roof, but the cold winter halted our progress. We got less and less done each week. It grew colder and colder by the day. My friend had an idea to combat the cold, though. He suggested that we set a bonfire to keep warm. When I think back on it now, what a terrifying idea we had to set a fire in a dry season, up alone in the mountains. We weren't thinking straight. I gathered a load of dead leaves and branches, and my friends dug a hole. We dumped all the leaves and branches in and set a fire. The warmth was a welcome distraction from the building. We were chatting and stoking the fire. About ten minutes passed and we were still there chatting by the crackling fire when we heard some rustling. It sounded like someone's footsteps. I must reiterate that we were deep in the mountains. It dampened our mood a little bit. It was kind of creepy. We kicked a load of soil over the fire and made sure it was extinguished. Then the sound intensified and we turned our heads to see someone dressed in a white costume running towards us at tremendous speed. One of my friends gave the order to run and we did. We ran as fast as we could down that mountain. We all stood around each other at the bottom of the mountain out of breath, asking each other what we thought that was. Then I remember we left all of our stuff up there, every single thing that we brought. A lot of the stuff had our names and our school information on it. If that was found, who knows what might happen? We spoke about what to do and we guessed that the person in white was probably someone who lived nearby and was just trying to scare us off. We decided to go back and retrieve our belongings. It was stressful heading back up the mountain again, not knowing what could be there waiting for us. We arrived back at the base, and the base was completely intact still. The only thing we noticed was that the fire had been completely buried. There was no sign of it anywhere. We found all the stuff left untouched. We were in good spirits. It seemed we had got off light this time. Then a friend called us over to the base. There was a noose slung in our base, as if it was some sort of chilling warning. We never went back. We abandoned our secret base. None of us ever wanted to meet the person in white. Often when we meet up, we talk about that day. Stay out of the mountains, my friends. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you enjoyed the stories shared here tonight, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give this a 5-star rating over there as it helps the show grow. If you're new to The Swamp, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them nearly every single day on all things natural and supernatural. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium but still want to download your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Music, and just about anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you'd like to support The Swamp outside of that, maybe check out the merch store, We've got t-shirts, hoodies, and more. Come join me over on Twitch. I stream over there multiple times a week. If you're a fan of horror games, horror movies, and other cool stuff like that, you can find a link in the description. If you're over on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, be sure to join and connect with me over there. I'd love to talk to you guys. Be sure to comment what story was your favorite tonight, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.